0: We've got a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 5, Um, and I'm going to read, once again, we're we're doing the the Beatitudes, so I'm going to read uh, verses 2 through 11, and then we're going to focus in on verse 5 today. So I'm going to read this and then we'll pray. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's Word. Before I pray, I just want to challenge you guys to think for a second. and, and kind of ponder within yourself and ask yourself, why are you here? Just, just be honest, why are you here? You don't have to say it out loud because you're not going to convince me. Um, nobody else around you knows the answer to that question, to why you're here. You know, and God knows. Um, my prayer is that we have come to hear from God and to celebrate who He is. Um, but if, you, if you're not here for those reasons, I know a lot of times we come with... Uh, six days behind us of the world, of work weeks, of school, of anything and everything under the sun That draws our attention away from God And so um, I'm going to pray and, and, and while we're praying, if, if you feel like you know, you're here for an, a reason other than, uh, other than that Ask God to, to help you, to open your heart and to, to help you lay aside those things that fight for your attention So that you can focus on Him And um, and we'll we'll move forward. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that as I attempt to uh, expound on it and 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 open it up and unpack it, and as we as a church gather to uh, take these few words and and chew on them and 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 suck all the flavor that we can out of them. God, I pray that you would just uh, your spirit would come and open our hearts to receive it, our eyes to see Jesus, our ears to hear your word. God, I pray that for those who are here with uh, a lot of uh, baggage from the, the week's events, that you would help us to uh, put that stuff aside and and honor you at this time. Let's not waste this time, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, today we're going to consider the third of the Beatitudes. Now, as we've gone through the last two, I've tried to repeat several ...kind of blanket statements about the Beatitudes as a whole... Um, ...because I want to make sure that as we approach this sermon... That we, ...that we come with the right presuppositions. We've said that he's describing Christians in these Beatitudes. He is um, he's, he's giving us spiritual attributes of the believer. He's describing the kingdom of heaven as it pertains to the heart of the believer... Um, and so, so we keep that in mind. And I want to talk a little bit today about what Jesus is doing in this sermon. Um, he's preaching to mostly, if not all, Jews. Now we, we read in, in chapter 4 that He's already began to preach repentance in light of the coming kingdom. And in multiple times in recent weeks I've talked about how Jews knew this terminology of the kingdom of heaven. They were expecting something and most of them had a wrong idea of what was coming. They were expecting something different. At this point in history, the Jews were under Roman authority and so many Jews were expecting the rule and the reign of Yahweh to come and overthrow the Roman regime, overthrow the government, take care of this problem. There were even particular groups called zealots who were Extremely colorful in the way that they opposed the government. These were like the the in our day they're kind of like the conspiracy theory bomb shelter guys who like constantly collect guns and ammo and stuff like that because they just know the government's going to you know kill everybody. This is kind of like the zealots of Jesus Day um, because they they didn't agree with what was what was going on with the Roman uh, occupation. So the Jews were expecting a political battle, like a literal war against the government with this coming kingdom. And more than likely, they were raised from an early age with, with a, a, a certain viewpoint or perspective, a certain disdain for the Romans. You can imagine children growing up in homes oppressed by the Romans. and they, So they were raised to kind of not really care much for the Romans. Um, Centurions or Roman guards would have been placed all throughout the area, all throughout the towns and the cities. They would see them all the time. So, so let's imagine for a second. This would be like us going to the mall or going to Walmart or somewhere and, and seeing policemen at, at different places all throughout the premises. Um, now at the mall there are security guards But I'm, I'm talking policemen at, every in, at the entrance of every store At every escalator Just kind of watching you and, and, and making sure you're not doing anything out of line Now, that wouldn't, be, that wouldn't be fun But now let's imagine that they're not normal policemen They're Russians or Chinese Or some other nation other than America Now, if you saw this You wouldn't feel protected You wouldn't feel safe you wouldn't feel comfort, you would feel oppressed, you would feel nervous, you would you would feel um, suffocated or trapped if there were just Russian guards all over everywhere you went watching you. Um, okay, now imagine that taxes were raised and that every one of us are required to take a day's wages every week that goes to a new tax called the guard tax, and that tax goes to pay... These guards who stand and watch your every move. This is this is kind of what was going on in the situation with Jesus' listeners in in Jewish Palestine at this time. So that that way that you feel, if you can imagine that, that's their way of life. They they are under oppression and Roman rule now. A lot of Southern people get really riled up when you start talking about gun control and and losing our right to bear arms and banning guns and there have even been statements made like the famous charlton heston from my cold dead hands speech at the nra rally there are bumper stickers that say when guns become outlawed i will become an outlaw Um, these are serious i would say pretty serious threats from people who've never been persecuted never been oppressed never had anything taken from and really in in the in the deep places of their mind they really don't think that the government's going to take our guns I mean that's you but because that's how people talk but let's imagine and well let's let's just face it if we think in that way if the government like if our military was commissioned to go take all the handguns a couple rednecks are not going to stop them I'll just go ahead and say A couple dudes get their heads blown off And everybody's going to be like Okay, just, just take the guns Or another government comes in um, But that's, that's just how we think we're, we're so quick to fight for our rights And so imagine now That that's, that's already taken place They've already taken those rights Or another rights. There's, there's even been some civil battles Maybe some of your friends and family members Have been killed defending, Trying to defend their rights Or co-workers um, are dead And now this political power has taken over and a day's worth of your wages go to pay these guards' salary. That's where the Jews are coming from in in Jesus' day. That's what's going on. So, this would not be a great situation. This is not what we're living in right now. Um, Now, we understand if you have kids, you know that your kids hear things that you say around the house even when you know they're not listening or you think they're not listening. So you can imagine what your kids would grow up thinking about The government, as they heard their parents talking behind closed doors, nobody's listening, we're just having discussions about, oh, they took our guns, we're going to get them, you know, this. So kids grow up hearing this stuff, and their minds begin to uh, be impressed. And and you can imagine that impression that children would be raised with about the government. A lot of people are are this way now. Um, You can imagine how the youth are raised now, no offense with a, a, a very... Ignorant Selfish Bias towards situations Because when you're young You don't think long term You don't think about The 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 reality Of what's going on And so you just kind of Grow up And and you're young And you just think you, You take things to the extreme When you're young Um it could almost be compared to in our culture When kids around here are raised with like rebel flags On everything they own And they're like always like the south will rise again And it's because they're not thinking long term That They're not thinking in reality It would be a horrible thing if the south rose again it's, it's, it's stupid But kids are raised this way And so they have a disdain for the government They have a disdain for, for certain people groups Because of the things that they're raised with in their home And so this, this is who Jesus is talking to this type of person these Jews are raised with this aggression towards the political government and so these people are like on edge waiting at a moment's notice soon as the king comes the kingdom of heaven we're getting up our swords and our machetes and pitchforks and we're taking over Rome. that's what they're thinking they're, they're, they're a people on the verge of political war okay now that's, that's who Jesus is talking to Compared to kind of maybe we can understand some of those things. Now let's move a couple thousand years to the future, twenty thirteen in America. And think about the things that we are taught as we as we grow up. And we can kind of move out of the South for a little bit and think just purely on an American scale. How how are we what are the things that we are bombarded with at every turn? And this is especially true for the younger generation. But things are getting more media focused, whereas the majority of even the older people in here in this church are on Facebook. So, like, it's not just young people anymore. Older people are getting into this. And so the influence is spreading about the things that we are pressured with from the outside. Um, So, from an early age in our schools, children are taught to migrate toward a mentality of strength, ability self-assurance, even aggressiveness and power. It's kind of like the Jews were against the government except ours is purely individual. You as an individual have the power. You need to chase this or that or pursue this. You guys can probably remember those cheesy posters on the... The guidance counselor's wall about, you know, chase your dreams and all this stuff. Because that's what we're driven with is this idea of strength, ability, self-assurance, aggression, power, achieve your goals. Children are taught to look inside themselves for the strength to overcome every obstacle in their path to achieve success. That's what we're taught from an early age. And this creates a sense of competition in the classroom to where kids get good grades. Not because they, they, they realize the benefits when they're 20 30 40 50 years old cuz let's anybody who's can look back a couple years can realize you weren't you weren't thinking that but it creates competition not for that reason but just so I can be have a good grade compared to the other students we even have grading curves which is it blows, it's just a weird concept if you think about it. Like, do I really want them to be smart or do I just want them, want them to get good grades? So this competition thing breeds in the classroom even physical strength and ability. Think about it. If you, next time you go to Barnes & Noble, look at the magazine rack. Men's magazines or just picture after picture after picture of men with muscles on top of muscles on top of muscles. Workouts and stretches. You know, you get men open these magazines and just stare at these pictures of dudes like, you stretch like this, and it's this and this. And th- these pictures after picture after picture for what? So that you can have muscles, so that you can be attractive, so that you can get the female. It's animal instinct. Look stronger and bigger than the other males, and I get the girl. It's, it's This is what we're pushed towards. Even if you're a... A female. Look through magazines, television, billboards, picture after picture, commercial after commercial of diet this, exercise this. I mean, every... The the infomercials on television are absurd. I mean, everything is you've got to look this way, feel this. And all of this is so you can look younger, feel younger, feel more vibrant about yourself. And then you watch sitcoms. And all these sitcoms, if you watch them and take notice, it's usually a mother... Who is 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 a woman of 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 strength and brains and and assertion? Who's looking after a couple kids and a moron of a husband who can barely tie his own shoes? That's that's the picture we're painted of the American family. Men are stupid, and so women, you're going to have to rise up and take care of these morons because all they do is play video games. And, and so that's the pictures. It's it's pushing. Everybody, from, from every different angle, everybody's pushed to self, self-promotion, self self-assertion. I've got to get the power. I've got to get the strength. In the workforce, we're trained to chase power or the, the next pay raise or the next, the next step up, the next level of leadership. Or your other option is settle in with your pay grade and just get ready to stagnate for the rest of your life. You're never going to be nothing. If you don't, if you don't achieve more, move up the corporate ladder. This is the things that we're, we're taught. So in our culture, we decide at an early age what kind of lifestyle we want to live. And that's usually based on what we see on television or what our parents teach us through their values and so we decide early on what kind of toys, pleasures, vacations, comforts, and things that we want. And then and, and these things give us, we, we think when we get those things, that will equal power, self-assurance, success. And so if we have these things by the time we're 30 or 40 or, or what, at whatever age, we will have accomplished something and we will have convinced ourselves that we are successful. And so once we decide on the lifestyle, we decide what kind of job we're going to need to afford that lifestyle. And then we figure out what kind of education we need to get that job. And then from from high school, we're planning our college track. Our mind is already focused on what kind of things do I want to have? What kind of comfort do I want to get when I get out of school and graduate college? And so this is what the world teaches you. Conquest. Conquer the test. Conquer the other team, conquer the spouse, conquer the job, conquer the the mate, conquer the mortgage, conquer the lifestyle. Now you're the king of the world and you can finally sit back and relax and enjoy the last six years of your life. This is what the world says do everything you can to get to the top, to, to be the ruler of your domain and make yourself happy. Jesus taught the exact opposite. We don't like that. We don't like to hear that. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Remember, Jesus is telling us what a Christian looks like. He's teaching us spiritual truths, spiritual things. We, we've talked uh, several times recently about 1 Corinthians 2. We read that these types of things, spiritual matters, matters of God's inner working in our heart and life, The world, people who are lost, don't get it. They can't understand it. It simply cannot understand it. When when the world looks at us as Christians, sees the way we live, sees the things that make us comfortable, or the things that we care about, the things that we take joy in, the things that we put at the top of our priorities, they are dumbfounded. They don't get it. They're just like, huh. They don't understand. And you think, well, nobody really things like that about me my worldview isn't a mystery to anybody well it's probably because the way you're living doesn't look any different than anybody else in the world and that's that's the issue see the Beatitudes came as Jesus begins to teach this sermon they came in direct contrast to everything the Jewish people thought at the time 2,000 years later they still stand in direct contrast to everything our world teaches right now At that time, it was military, political overthrow. Now it's individuality. You as a person achieve these things and conquer the world. Even a lot of Christians have the attitude that if we can just all join together, if everybody can get together and we can have a massive church with massive functions and massive reach into the the corporate world, into the, the community, massive organizations, then we would finally be able to combat Satan. If we can get more of us than there are of them, we'll win. That's that's what's taught. Big church equals success. Or big churches win the battle. Or let's just form a group of churches so that we can overthrow whatever the political issue is going on at the time. You know, we're going to fight for family, preserve our family values. Now, I totally agree with spiritual warfare. And it's true, the Bible talks about spiritual warfare, but what our mentality is usually is we fight physical warfare on spiritual battle lines. It's in here, it's in here, it's in here, but we want to rise up, we want to march on Washington, we want to take control, let's get our Christian pitchforks and our, our Christian flag and march and take over, and that's not what Jesus taught. This mentality is nowhere in Scripture, nowhere. As a matter of fact, there's one time where the Roman guards came to take Jesus, to crucify Him. And Peter tried to stand up and defend Jesus. You remember that? He was defending the Son of God. And Jesus said, put your sword down. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Don't do that, Peter. That's not how we operate. That's not how this works. Just let it be. So Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Not the powerful, not the strong, not the brave, not the aggressive. The meek. The meek. Jesus is challenging everything that they knew, everything that they thought. That's what He's doing in this sermon. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to preach a sermon, and it's going to make every one of these people upset. Because it's, it's against everything that we're ingrained with in our nature. So He says, blessed are the meek. what does this mean? Is it meek like we, like the picture I think of meek? I normally think of meek. Is there something, something some hidden meaning about meek that I don't really understand what meek means? Um, for me, it helps to understand, first of all, what it's not. Because I approach this from a, a Christian background. I've read this so many times. I just have a picture. And so it helps me to understand what it's not before I actually get what it is. Meekness does not mean that you stand in the background, that you never exert your thoughts or your feelings because you're indolent or lazy. We all know people like this. You're just inactive because to act or do something means that you have to actually do something and you're too lazy to do anything and so you just you just don't do anything. That's not what it means to be biblically meek. A person who's meek is not someone that's just so chill that they never... Assert themselves over anything. They never really exert any energy, and it, y'all know these type of people. They you wouldn't consider them lazy. They're just so chill, man. Man, it, it's just it's all good, man. And they just they just they're not lazy. They're just uninvolved. They just never act on anything. It's like they just they don't care about what's going on in the world. And so they're even when you're like, where do you want to go eat for lunch, man? It don't matter, man. Well, it don't matter to me. Where do you want to go? Well, it don't matter, man. Just whatever. You know, I can eat. You know, that's not meekness. Meekness does not mean nice. Some people think that Jesus' meekness meant that He was just a nice guy. That, and, it, and it would only follow that since I'm nice, then I'm meek like Jesus said, and so I'm a Christian. Well, that doesn't hold very much water. Because some dogs are nicer than other dogs, I think we would agree. That doesn't mean they're meek. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit has filled this animal to act in a nice way. It's just that's animal instinct. Some people are nicer than other people. So that's not what it means to be meek. It's not just nice. Meekness is also not just a spirit of compromise at all costs. Um, This tends to be the attitude of those who believe that Jesus was just an extreme pacifist. They just never wanted to get too involved. They didn't want to push people too hard. They didn't want to push people over the edge. And these people thought that Jesus, they think that Jesus was just so nice that He would would choose compromise rather than confrontation at all costs. He just wanted to be nice with everybody. Um, He just wanted to avoid conflict. Uh, Last week in Ed Young's most recent sermon called, What Would Jesus Say to Ellen DeGeneres? He spent the majority of his time saying that Jesus would tell Ellen that he loved her sense of humor and he loved her heart. He spent about 45 minutes talking about that. Because his sermon was based solely on speculation, I assume Ed Young doesn't have a clue what Jesus would say to Ellen DeGeneres. Because Jesus, at the outset of his ministry, is is preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Stop acting like you're acting. Turn away from sin and worship the living God. Jesus said, "Your heart is the, the 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 body from which all evil flows. All sin, adultery, slander, all these things come from your heart. Jesus doesn't love a lost person's heart. He wants their heart to be ripped out, and he wants to put in a new one. But that's what the world teaches that this is meekness. Just be calm. Let's just I don't want to hurt you too bad. I want to offend you, and that's not meekness. Compromise at all costs." So let's look at what meekness is. And I want to look at it from the perspective of the two other beatitudes that we've already learned. Because remember, they build on one another. As we go, they're, they're kind of like building blocks. So week one, we talked about being poor in spirit. As God opens the eyes of the unbeliever to see truth, see the truth of the gospel, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. At the same time, the unbeliever's eyes are open to see the wretchedness of his sin. And this is the most basic building block of Christianity is, is and, and trust in Christ. is coming to Him completely broken and poor, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually impoverished, seeking a foreign deposit of life. We don't have it in us. It's not here. And so we come poor in spirit. And this happens at the moment of conversion. And then throughout the process of sanctification, a true Christian will begin to see the effects of sin in himself, in his friends, in other people, in the world, and it, it hurts, it breaks, and they will mourn because of sin. Because the eyes of the Christian have been opened to the severity of sin and its effects on the world, and more importantly, what God thinks about sin, they mourn, they're saddened. His spiritual poverty, the spiritual poverty of other people, the spiritual poverty of the world, it breaks the Christian, it causes Christians to mourn the sinful condition of the world, forcing him to trust more and more in the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Now, here's this is key. Because as you grow closer to Christ and you go you you can imagine moving closer and closer to a spotlight. It's, you, the things on you are shown more and more and more and any person who's followed Christ for many years will tell you the closer I get to him, the, the more I realize I'm further and farther away as you grow and you see how much sin has tainted you and so you realize more and more I can't trust in myself I'm filthy, I cannot do it I've got to trust in Jesus more and more and more you grow towards that way and that's, that's key less of myself and more of Jesus now up until this point Everything that's taken place has kind of been inside heart issues. Spiritual things taking place in the heart. Now all of these Beatitudes are spiritual in nature. And influenced by the Holy Spirit. But those first two take place specifically in your heart. After the believer is given a new heart by the Spirit of God. He sees Christ. He sees his sin. He's broken. He's mournful over his sin. Now because he's seen truth... Seeing the truth of the gospel and the reality of his sin. The believer will, like I said, trust more in Jesus. Will begin to grow further and further away from the natural instinct of pride. Our natural instinct is to trust ourselves. I've got this. Look in your heart. You've got it. Just search inside yourself and you don't have it. But the, the believer, as they grow, they realize more and more, I've got to trust Jesus. Every single day we're hanging tighter and tighter because we know we don't have what it takes. Only Jesus has it. And so this issue of pride begins to leave. So we think less of, we rely less on ourselves and more on Jesus. This pride is usually something that flows forth in respect to other people. We, we, we carry ourselves differently around others. We assert ourselves differently around other people. We think differently about others' situation in life because of what we think of ourselves. The absence of this pride as it leaves is what Jesus means by meek. Less self-reliance, more Jesus-reliance. Coming from seeing the truth more and more and more. And as I get into the truth of God's Word and I really realize where I'm at, I'll stop relying on myself more and more and realizing I don't have it. I've got to trust Jesus. I can't do anything. Only Jesus can do it. I don't have anything to take pride in of myself. I can only boast in Christ. And that absence of pride is what that meekness consists of. So here's my definition of meek or meekness as Jesus describes And this is kind of what we're going to focus on. This is meekness. Meekness is a true view of oneself in attitude and conduct... With respect to others. Meekness is a true view of oneself in attitude and conduct. With respect to others. See these beatitudes you'll begin to notice they get progressively harder. Now if we think about it literally it's impossible. For a natural man to see his sin and be broken over sin. It's impossible. You cannot do it on your own. The spirit has to do that in you. Working in you. And he does that. Just like we talked about God spoke light into existence, let there be light, in the same way, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, in the same way He speaks the light in our hearts to open our eyes to see the gospel. Natural people don't see it. People who are not Christians hear me talk all day and think, that's stupid. Why would I do that? That's because God has not opened their eyes. But like I said, all this is still heart stuff. Because I can look at myself, I can realize I'm a sinner, And I can mourn, I'm spiritually bankrupt, I can realize that my sin is horrible, and I can mourn over sin, but none of of those are fun things to do, by the way. It's not easy to realize that your world that you've built around you is in opposition to God, but nobody likes for other people to see who they are. Nobody wants somebody else to call them a sinner. Nobody wants anybody else to realize that they're spiritually bankrupt. Nobody wants the outside world to realize what is the truth about them. That's why we act the way we act, dress the way we dress, because we want to cover up what's really going on. And that's why being meek is so hard, because it's in respect or relation to the, the other people and the world outside of my own heart. It's a it's an attitude shift. It's spiritually produced and physically induced as we live In relation to other people. So the person who is meek is poor in spirit. The person who is meek mourns over sin. Meek people have seen truth. They don't have a puffed up view of themselves. Or they shouldn't as they grow along their Christian life. They won't have a a puffed up view of themselves. Those who are born again have been able to see themselves in the mirror of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you think about the gospel there's three main characters. God, me and Jesus God is perfect just and gracious creator of all things I'm a wretched sinner and Jesus had to die so that I could have a relationship with God so in the gospel of the the three main characters I don't hold a very high standpoint in this whole scheme and so make people understand this they have stood to be measured by God's word and found themselves lacking they've looked at the law of God and what he requires which is perfection said I'm not perfect Make people understand this they don't see themselves. They don't see in themselves anything worth saving, anything worth, keeping anything worth, using anything that could benefit God in any way. Meet people don't see anything in themselves that God could love. And like I said two weeks ago, some people like to treat Jesus as if He's the beggar, just just dying to have friends like us to hang out with. That's not the case. Jesus is the perfect Son of God and we are sinners. It's not Jesus is not needing us. The meek man sees or has seen the most horrifying truth in all of Scripture. The scariest thing that the Bible teaches, and I'm gonna give you guys this. And and if you weren't if you're not prepared for this, I apologize because some for some people this is sickening if you can get this and this is the most horrifying truth in all of scripture and if, if, if you think this is going to be offensive to you you might want to close your ears but here it is God is good God is good and if you understand and believe that God is good and you understand that you are not good that's horrifying because if he's good he is in opposition to anything that's bad If he's good, he punishes, he must punish any infraction on his glory. If he doesn't do that, he's not good, he's not just. If he just wipes it under the rug, what kind of God is that? That's no judge. He's not, but he is good, and so he must punish sin. He is good, and so he's on the opposite team of us from the moment we're born. We're enemies. And now as the meek person... Is allowed to see the truth about God—that He is good, and He is perfect, and He is holy, and He is just—and he begins to see that He's none of those things. He be, he changes. His mind changes. His actions change. He's no longer there's no longer a pride in his heart. There's no longer self gratification in his actions. There's no longer self exaltation. There's no longer a search for power. There's no longer a delving into one's own heart to pull out the strength to do anything. I just got to look inside myself. If I could just get deep down inside my heart, I've got the power inside of me. No, you don't. You don't have it. It's not there. And, and, a, and a meek person understands this. A meek person's life changes from inward focus to upward focus. Not about me anymore. Nothing that's going on in this world is about me anymore. It's all about Jesus. So as the meek person sees the grace of God that has saved them from hell, they change. You change. When you get that, that I I need to be going to hell right now, but I'm not because of God's grace, you change. You see that, you change. If you're not changing, you haven't seen it. And so they change their conduct. They do different things. They care about different things. They talk different. They change. If there's been no change in your life, You don't know Jesus. Not that change equals knowing Jesus. It means when you know Jesus, you change. It changes you. But it's not just conduct, it's attitude. Your wanting changes. The things you care about change in your innermost being. The things that used to be important aren't important anymore. The things that the world pushes on us and gets us to strive after are secondary or worthless. Worldly success is usually just a joke to meek people that have this kind of spiritual meekness. What do you mean a promotion? What do I need a promotion for? What do you mean more money? I got food. What do you mean new shoes? What do you mean a new car? I don't get it. Yeah, but this car is brand new. Right? I don't get it. That's how meek people think. The world has nothing to offer. Nothing. And all of this is in respect to others and the world outside of your own heart. Because if you think about meekness, all those things, it it relates to what's going on around you. The man who's truly meek allows others to see and understand what he has seen. Namely, that he is a poor, wretched sinner with nothing to offer God. And that every bit of his life and breath and blood pumping through his veins is a gift from Jesus. Meek people display this in their actions. It's all Jesus. He realizes, he acts in such a way that shows he's a spiritual beggar. Anytime any any compliment is given, it's... (laughs) not me. They don't have a clue. I don't have anything in me that's good except what has been given me by the Spirit. And this doesn't mean that you constantly talk down about yourself and, oh, I'm a wretched sinner and I can't do anything right. If you go back a couple weeks ago, we talked about those non-definitions of poor in spirit. It's not, a, it's not just a, a, a lip service, but I'm miserable and I'm, I'm no good. But you, you, it's an attitude towards people. You no longer advance yourself. You no longer promote yourself in the company of others. It doesn't matter. And why? It's because you're not a slave to sin anymore. You're not a slave to the world's system. The meek person is no longer in bondage to money and possessions and vacations and success and status and power. These things no longer hold this person Because if you're not a Christian, all those things, even if it's just, man, I just hope I have money for food tomorrow. If you're thinking about tomorrow, it's got a hold on you. Jesus said, you've got bread for today. Worry about tomorrow when it gets here. Tomorrow has its own issues. The things of the world don't hold you anymore. They don't dictate your decisions. They don't dictate your actions. You've been set free by the death of Jesus, and now you're a slave to Jesus. He calls the shots. He dictates. He commands He is the supreme value. And when you get this, you can sing truthfully, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but His truth abides still, His kingdom is forever. You can say that. Take my stuff, take my family, it don't matter, because I've got Jesus. You understand that. The world has nothing to offer the man who is meek. He's not prideful, his only boast is Christ. He doesn't assert himself. He only promotes Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. That's what meek people promote. He doesn't seek His own rights or a position, but rather He takes up His cross every day. He follows the Good Shepherd who laid down His life for the sheep. That's what a meek person does when you follow Christ. Paul said this in Philippians 2. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind among yourselves. Make this the way you think. Think like Jesus. He was God but he said, I'm not going to hold on to God, the, the God stuff. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to become a servant, become nothing. See, the world teaches us to chase success, which means go after something or get somewhere in life. Obtain success. The world says pursue strength and power, which means establish yourself in in the world system. The world says look for self-assurance and, and be aggressive if you need to, which means... Try to exalt yourself so that you can convince yourself you're successful and you'll have that, that attitude about you, that that, that, that glow that is, is so treasured in the world. Jesus taught the opposite. He said the meek will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. How does that work? Think about it. Why does the world teach you all these things? What's, what's the mind, mindset? They're trying to get you to obtain Trying to get you to advance. Trying to get you to move up. Try to get you to to the next level. Try to step up. Move along in life. Trying to get you to conquer whatever's in front of you. Those who are meek aren't enslaved by those passions anymore. Or those desires. Nothing that the world has to offer is of any value. Has no control over you. Cannot dictate you. You have no dictator other than Christ. So... Think metaphorically, if nothing in the world is on top of you, that means you're on top of it. You are, in essence, a king among men. You've got you might as well have everything because all of it is it's just whatever. I've got Jesus. Now we of course we know it's not literal. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of Lords, but think about what the Bible teaches believers or about believers. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also may also be glorified with Him. Heirs with Christ, heirs of the kingdom of God. You know what an heir is? Like if my dad's really really rich and he dies, I get all his stuff. We are heirs with Christ. Elsewhere in Scripture it says that Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. It's like we are family with Jesus and we get all the things that Jesus gets provided we suffer. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, this is the Apostle Paul talking, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty And hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now this verse is usually taken out of context when you have like an inability that you can't overcome. Like, I don't have the skill. And someone says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We say this. But what he's talking about really is, in any situation, it don't matter because you've got Jesus. You can be poor in the dirt and have nothing. If you've got Jesus, you might as well have everything. All things and that's what Paul is saying. With Christ in us, we might as well, we can learn to have a bunch, have a little, have plenty, be rich, poor, it don't matter. It's all It's all just whatever. 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23 says, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Because we have Jesus, we have everything. Remember in Romans 8 it says, If God didn't even hold back His Son from us, will He not freely give us all things? In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Because we are saints of God, we will judge the world with Jesus. Christians will judge the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 3-10 says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor. Through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul's ministry was not about chasing success or power or fame. It was about serving Jesus and His church with the gospel. That's all he cared about. I I might as well have everything. I can go through all these things and it doesn't matter because I've got Jesus. And this is what it means to inherit the earth. As we see the truth about God and ourselves and we are broken and humbled before Christ, our attitude and conduct changes. And we are set free from anything under the sun that might hold us down or, 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 or hold us captive and therefore the entire earth might as well be ours it don't matter because none of those things stand in control of us now this is not a health, wealth and prosperity gospel don't hear me saying that that God just wants you to be healthy, wealthy and prosperous and if you're not then there's something wrong with you This is a, you give up everything you own if it's necessary for the sake of Jesus and His gospel gospel. This is a, those things don't matter to me anymore gospel. That's, health don't matter. Prosperity don't matter. Wealth don't matter. None of these things matter in light of the gospel when you have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, that's why you have to preach a gospel like this because people aren't satisfied with Jesus. And so you've got to tell them, yeah, but He wants you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and He wants you to have... If Jesus is enough, He's enough, right? He either is or He ain't. Someday, when all's said and done, Christ is going to return and He is going to defeat sin and death and evil forever. And from that time forward, in eternity, we will once again have dominion over the earth. We will rule the earth. If you remember, Adam in the Garden of Eden was given dominion over the earth. But he traded it for prideful gain. He wanted just a little bit more. He didn't like being number two. He wanted to be number one. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he, and we will reign on the new earth with him forever. We're not going to be sitting on clouds playing harps. That's not a biblical view of heaven. What happens is this earth gets burned up and there's a new one. That looks like the Garden of Eden and we live there and we rule it with Jesus. That's where we're we're going to end up if you are a believer. You will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Because some of you aren't Christians, and so this is not your path. You're not going to inherit the earth. When you die, you'll go to hell, and you'll be punished forever. If you're a Christian, you've got these things to look forward to. You're not in bondage to anything the world has to offer. It doesn't matter anymore. Who cares? Who cares about... Any, name it it doesn't matter shoes clothes cable tv cars houses jobs it doesn't matter because you've got jesus if you're a christian you can say that it don't matter who cares take it but if you're not a christian you're still you're still thinking yeah but what about this yeah but what about this am i gonna have to give up this do i what if, what if i have to give up this you're still thinking that jesus is not going to be enough And the beauty of the gospel is what happens is God opens your eyes to see Jesus as everything you need. He is your bread. He is your water. He is your life. He is the blood that pumps through you that makes you live. If He's not those things or if if you're trying to mix Him in with a little bit of everything else, it's not going to work. You don't have Jesus and everything else. Jesus must be everything. Now I'm not saying you have to sell everything you have. But I'm saying... You might as well, it don't matter. If God calls you to do it, you'll do it. If he says sell everything you got and go live somewhere else to share the gospel, you'll do it. It don't matter because I got Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, you can become a Christian today. You don't have to stay in bondage to sin. You just receive Jesus. No special, no special words, no special mantra I've got to say. I don't have a wand to cast a spell. You just in your heart talk to God. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. So I'm going to close in prayer. And as I close, you pray in your heart. As I end this service, you call out to God. As I'm finishing up what I have prepared, I pray that the Holy Spirit comes and does what He has prepared to do. So let's let's pray and we will be dismissed. If you have any more questions, comments, concerns, please, please come and talk to me.